make sure you're there. I mean, you have to pretty much, being in this business, you have to pretty much live it and love it. Otherwise, don't do it. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Wilco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Wilco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff, and today my guest is someone that I've been very much looking forward to talking to for a variety of reasons, which are going to be obvious as we get into the uh, interview. So my guest today is Manny Colon. He is the owner of Manny's Bistro at 225 Columbus Avenue in New York City, which is between 70th and 71st Street. And there's so many different subjects that I'm looking forward to getting into with you, Manny. But first off, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Sure, no problem, Steve. So, Manny, before we get into it, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you created Manny's Bistro, just a little bit of the history of that as well? Well, to get started, is I, I managed this location for about 16 years. It was a restaurant, used to be called Bistro Cassis. And when the pandemic hit, the uh, previous owners decided to uh, not renegotiate their lease and uh, they moved on. A couple of months went by, and I uh, negotiated a deal with the landlord, and I took over the space. And it was probably, uh, I think it was around September 1 of 2020, which I signed the lease and did a renovation and opened up uh, in mid-October. So it's been about a year and two months now, and I was thinking of the name because the prior name was owned by the previous owners. So everybody I would speak to, they would always say, well, when we, we always came there, we always said, let's go to Manny's. Everybody always thought I was the owner because I always treated the place as if it were mine, very dedicated to what I do. So we just decided, I just decided to call it Manny's. That was the vote. The vote was overwhelming with uh, my uh, fellow workers and with the neighborhood. So we just uh, said, all right, we'll call it Manny's Bistro. And that's how the name Manny's Bistro came about. So it's a great story. And I've actually heard of a number of occasions or a number of examples where something similar happened that uh, as a result of the uh, pandemic, the owners just didn't want to continue. And one of the managers, or in some cases, it was a group of people who had worked in the restaurant for years, took over the ownership. And in each case, obviously, including yours, it's worked out exceptionally well. So my first question on all that many is, how was it when you took over as, as owner, did you find that that gave you an advantage working with the people who you'd already been a coworker with as manager? Or do you feel that it created certain challenges that you had to overcome? What was that dynamic like once you came in and now found yourself the owner and working with people who previously had been your coworkers? It was kind of made it easier for me because I didn't have to start to uh, look to hire, to hire new, uh, new people because I had co-workers that were with me, some that have been with me for well over 18 years, and some even 25 years that have worked with me in my previous location that I had owned before I came to manage uh, the former Bistro Cassis. Also, some of their kitchen workers, including my chef. So I was very, uh, very lucky to bring these guys back, and I also had a loyal clientele in the neighborhood, so that made it easier for me to reopen. So on the one hand, what's great about it is you obviously have the respect 
of all of your employees now because they've worked with you and they saw the way that that you operate and also they know that you're coming from the same perspective as them. Has it ever created any challenges when you've had to make sort of an ownership decision that there hasn't necessarily been certain buy-in or has there ever been any tension that's been created out of that or it's just been such a collaborative environment that it's just been a positive and, and everything has served to reinforce itself? Yeah, everything pretty much was the same. Everybody always looked at me as their peer and always a co-worker and always saw me as being the owner because of the way I treated the place and always took care of it. And uh, Everybody followed, you know, I would always lead by example. And so it was, it was, again, it was quite easy for me to make the transition. And I just feel like it was the same as normal, like nothing really changed. Just the, you know, the renovation and and the name change and, uh, you know, upgrading the quality of the food, which I always strive to have the best quality. To me, it's all about quality of food and service. And I was able to take it up a notch because now I make the decisions and I believe in quality more than quantity. And that's uh, what my guests feel. The, the quality is uh, better than ever now and the service as well. You know, that's a great segue because, I mean, I would just conclude that one thing that we've been discussing that I think it's a real testimonial to you as a manager and an owner that it's been so seamless because obviously you've leveraged the respect that you had from these people from working with them and have been able to really utilize it as an owner, which you make sound easy, but in a lot of circumstances, I'm sure it isn't. With respect to the quality versus quantity argument, I couldn't agree with you more because I've seen so many restaurants take an opposite approach and it hasn't had a happy outcome. Was that a decision that sort of carried over from a Bistro Cassis? Or was that something that you've always felt strongly about? And now that you're the owner, you have an even greater opportunity to double down on that philosophy. Yeah, well, uh, you know, sometimes the previous owners, they were more about the bottom line. I look at it as the top line. So I believe in that if I serve quality, the guests will return. If I, if I just try to, for example, if I buy a choice steak instead of a prime and a guest will send it back once or twice and so the money I think I'm saving on buying a lesser quality, I'm really losing money because I'm losing the money on the sale of that steak. So if I have a prime steak and 99.9% of the time the guest is happy with it and they do not send it back, I have a happy guest and I have a returning guest. So again, that's where my I believe in quality and not uh, quantity. And I look at the top line of how many times they will return, not how I'm going to give them an expensive meal. And it's not good. And so with the previous owners, they they had a different approach, although I would fight with them all the time. And I try to get my way most of the time of buying quality all the time. And now, now I'm able to do that. I share your philosophy completely because in my business, it's the same thing. We do a lot of things here to give our customers the best service experience and the best products we can. And I know some people have said to me that I'm going overboard or that, you know, it's, it's too expensive, but I couldn't agree with you more. There's nothing more valuable than a customer. And in the restaurant industry, repeat customers who ultimately turn out to be your best sort of ambassadors and advocates, any investment you make in giving them a phenomenal experience is well worth it. And I would imagine that all of your years experience as an operator gives you the ability to navigate the challenges that 
always exist in the restaurant industry and, and exist now certainly as well, whether it's inflation or other things, where you're still able to give that phenomenal quality and yet continue to be able to, to grow that top line and, and be successful. When you talk about quality, would you say, Manny, because I know the area very well and I want to get into the neighborhood of the Upper West Side, would you say that the majority of your clientele are people who are regulars, who know the neighborhood, or do you get people, because there's obviously museums over there, what would you say the breakdown is of your clientele and, and those that engage with your brand and your restaurant? My clientele is probably about, uh, regular clientele is probably about 75 to 80% at least. And the few are sure that we'll get because of tourists coming in, maybe going to Lincoln Center or going to a museum, or going to visit the park, is you know, maybe about 15%, really not that much, 10 to 15%. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a basically, you know, regular neighborhood clientele. And I have some guests that literally come in here every day. <laughs> there are some single people in the neighborhood that don't cook. And we give them a variety of options and we do daily specials. And so we're very creative with the menu. And I have really I have about two or three guests that come every day. And some people I call up every day for deliveries. So it's it's really, really, it's a great thing that, you know, they won't. Pretty much don't go to other restaurants. I tell them, guys, why don't you go try another place? Oh, Manny, we're always happy when we come here. <laughs> and we always get a great meal. So why do we want to go somewhere else? Is that okay? You know, that that really is the hallmark of a restaurant that has a phenomenal relationship with its regulars. It's a second home for them. And I think, you know, I, I was born and raised in New York City. And I grew up, as I say, in New York City. And um, the Upper West Side has always been one of those neighborhoods that really is a neighborhood in New York City. And there's been so many, the Saul Bellow uh, novel sees the day and, and Isaac Bashevis Singer, who was on the Upper West Side. You know, there's this real neighborhood, small town feel on the Upper West Side. And so if, if someone like yourself who can really capture that and build that, that loyalty with the locals, it's an unbelievable opportunity. Would you say that that is still the way that that neighborhood is? Has it changed? I, I haven't lived in New York for a few years and would just be curious, you've obviously been at this location for a long time. Would you say the neighborhood still lends itself to that sort of small town community vibe or would you say that there's been some changes that you've identified that have either been positive or challenging in terms of the restaurant? Well, the neighborhood is, is we still have our you know, regulars, and but we're also getting a lot of new people moving to the neighborhood, a lot of young professionals moving into the neighborhood. Obviously, there are you know, new high-rises going up, and a lot of real estate has opened up, and some of the people that have left, and so there's a lot of room for new families coming in, and it's been really, I've been seeing, you know, uh, kind of like a geographical change. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of, again, younger professionals coming in, and they come once, they come twice, and, oh, this is the first time I've been here, and we love it, it's great, and they keep returning and telling their friends, and it's it just grows and grows. And, you know, the business, I mean, with the exception of what's going on the past couple of weeks with COVID and stuff, but before that, I mean, the, the business has pretty much been better than it's been since I've seen in 10 years, as far as uh, new guests coming in and, 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 and the support of the locals. So it's been really, really positive. You know, th th that's great to hear. And it, and it makes perfect sense with everything that I've seen as well, because one, those restaurants that really had a connection with the neighborhood and the community were the ones that were able to really weather 
the most challenging days of what we went through in 2020 because they had that real bond with the the people that they were servicing. And also, they were able to, in a sense, and I, I'm curious if this occurred with you as well, to augment and, and almost add a new dimension to that dynamic with takeout and delivery. Do you find that you picked up a number of customers through takeout and delivery that you might not have otherwise gotten other than what we went through? Or conversely, were you able to introduce certain people who had never been to the bistro but tried you through takeout and they became in-dining customers? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, we've picked up some new delivery guests. We did the uh, third-party delivery service for a while, which I'm not too keen about because I really don't like other delivery uh, options. You know, if somebody else handling my food, I prefer to do it with my own guys in-house. And, you know, we, we, we don't ride bicycles or have motorbikes, and so we kind of do our own deliveries. We are working right now with a seamless Grubhub, but very limited. And the reason why I'm doing it is because it extends the uh, delivery area a little bit further. But I do make sure that, you know, when we pack our deliveries and give it to their drivers, that we extra take extra precautions on making sure everything is sealed properly and everything is so when they do take it, then nothing will spill or be handled uh, much better. But because of the way we, we pack everything. And yeah, and so if those guests enjoy what we send them on a delivery, and then they'll, they'll see and they'll come and they'll dine at the restaurant as well. But I always prefer taking my own deliveries out, especially with our regular guests that live in the neighborhood and weren't coming out, or some of the senior clientele that, you know, it's too cold or they're not feeling well. So we, I always make it a point to make sure that they're taken care of. And that's one of the reasons why I never close them. We're open seven days a week, lunch and dinner, to be sure that we don't block out any of our loyal guests because it's all about a loyal uh, clientele, you know, in the neighborhood. And those are the ones that kept us going and were always concerned if we're doing okay, can, you know, how can we help? Can we order more delivery? So that's been great. It, it, even the church that I, I take care of the homeless like twice a month and we feed like 75 people at the Blessed Sacrament Church. And I have a lot of people coming afterwards now or people that say, well, we heard about you, you know, at the church that you're feeding the homeless. It's so nice. We want to come here and support you as well. So there's been so much positive going on. I'm very, very uh, happy of the way things are going. Well, I think it's really a testimonial because that's the other thing. I mean, and for people that are listening who aspire to open a restaurant, I hope you're paying very close attention to this because all of the things that you're doing, Manny, are those things that were essential in terms of navigating through the challenging times, but also laying the foundation for the success that you are enjoying and that you've described. And with respect to the delivery thing, you know, for myself, and I've said this in, in earlier interviews, when you grew up in New York City, as I did, getting delivery or takeout is not some revolutionary concept. Uh, every local restaurant would do it. As you said correctly, of course, the third-party apps can perhaps expand the delivery territory and make it easier for people to find you, and there's certain upsides. But I think for people such as yourself and for, for brands such as Manny's Bistro, when you have that loyal clientele, you can really insource a lot of it and save those third-party fees and ensure the quality control for your customers. So I think it's really tremendous that you're doing that. 
For our chefs out there, let me ask you this question, because obviously in its current iteration and prior, you guys have been at this location as a bistro for a long time. Have you noticed any major dining trend changes over the past couple of years? In other words, have people expected different types of fare from the bistro? Would you say that there's a greater desire from the traditional comfort food fare of the bistro? For the chefs who are listening, what have you seen over the past, say, two, three, four years with respect to dining trends within a French bistro environment that was of note to you or something that jumped out, if anything? Well, I mean, what we do is we, we do maybe four or five specials every night, whether, you know, a different uh, seafood dish, a different meat, a different salad, a different app. And, we you know, we keep the staples, which are the escargot, uh, which people love, the frise salad, the French onion soup, the steak frites, the coco van, all those uh, French uh, bistro staples. We keep them on the menu. But, you know, yeah, again, expanding and, and having different options and, you know, newer stuff. Like we sell a lot of uh, duck breast. And uh, so we decide, let's say, okay, well, we, we have fresh ducks that come in every day. So what we're doing is we do a duck taco confit. So the duck taco confit. And so people look at, oh, taco, that sounds interesting. So little things like that. Basically, we always have a tuna tartare. We have a steak tartare. So let's do a salmon tartare. Let's do a ceviche. Let's do so. And whenever we do try different things or different specials, because we have so much of a regular clientele, they love it. And they, they love to see different things on the menu. And we do change the menu seasonally, you know, two or three times a year. When it's cold, we want to have some, you know, bouillia base. We want to have some lamb stew. So we want to change it more to some wintry dishes. And then when the summer comes, we'll go to some lighter dishes. But again, the trends are people, trends are pretty much they just want to see different, you know, options. Absolutely. And I also think that with people, you know, one thing's for sure, and I spoke about this in many prior podcasts, is the love of going out to eat, the love of restaurants and dining out has been absolutely substantiated by what we saw over the past year and the way everybody just loves to do it. And it was such a such an activity that people missed. And I think that all of the aspects that you're describing in the way that, you know, you run Manny's Bistro, but even bistros in general, authenticity, really well-prepared meals with high-quality ingredients, an environment where people feel comfortable. These are all of the essential foundational things that people are looking for, and I think that that desire is going to continue to resonate well into the future because it's something that people missed. Now, one of the things that I heard yesterday, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, most people that I've heard have responded very favorably. I'm curious to know your thoughts on it and if it's meaningful or not, in your view. Governor Hochul said that it's her desire and her intention to make the to-go cocktail thing permanent, which I know was very popular from a number of restaurants during the the height of what we went through in 2020. Is that something that you feel good about? Is that something that's relevant or based upon your cuisine and, and your brand? It wasn't such a big deal. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, it really is not something that I am really interested. I mean, as far as a bottle of wine, yeah. For the wine, yes. For cocktails, not really. I think people want to enjoy a cocktail. They want to sit at a bar and have a cocktail. I mean, I, I would say some businesses that were mostly predominantly bar business, then maybe people in the summertime would be walking by and grab a cocktail and 
sit outside or grab a cocktail and take a walk to the park. But I don't know. It's something that I, because I'm not really big on bar business, we're 80% pretty much restaurant, 80% food, 20% cocktails, although we do sell a lot of wine. So when it comes to wine, we probably do about 40% on the wine compared to food sales, 60%. But as far as cocktails, taking cocktails out, maybe if I had a big bar, I would probably think about it. But I'm not sure if I really want to prepare and deliver cocktails to people's homes with the food. It's also a little challenging. You you have to really have different carry-all bags to to set that up. And then you have to be careful because you're delivering there may be children in the house or something. I, I don't know. It just doesn't. I'm kind of a little more on the old-fashioned side when it comes to that. I'm not crazy about uh, delivering cocktails to somebody's home. Yeah, I agree with you. I I hear what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. I do think that the wine side, it can present certain opportunities because now when people get takeout and deliveries, they can really pair it with a a bottle of wine that you'd be able to sell them, whereas before, if they didn't have it in the house and they wanted to enjoy a nice wine. But I appreciate your, your take on that. What I would say I'm seeing on sort of a macro level, which I I really hope, God willing, continues, is I think the new mayor and the new governor, but certainly the new mayor, seems to be much more interested in and aware of. And I'm, I'm not saying this as a political comment. I'm not a political person. I'm just thinking about what the hospitality industry had to go through in 2020. And there were a lot of times in 2020 where I felt that the hospitality industry was not being treated fairly or even humanely. And I just hope that that's going to change. And I'm optimistic that it will. And I think that if it does, there are still tremendous tailwinds that can be felt going into this year from a number of different areas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I think the new mayor, from what I understand, is very uh, pro-business as well. And he's been going out to the restaurants and seeing what's going on and also with the uh, with the outdoor cafes and the street and cafes that they want to keep them permanent. And that's a big thing as well for the city to have those outdoor cafes kept permanently as long as they're built properly and, and there are strict guidelines on how they should be built and how they should be taken care of for the safety of the guests, most important. And also for the, the look of the neighborhood, you want the neighborhood to keep its, its look in every neighborhood. You know, some of them that were built were built kind of like shabby and just built in a rush and just to have something there, which kind of being desperate when you couldn't have any indoor dining. But now that you're allowed to have the indoor dining, although right now at this point in time, people want to still sit outside. So if you build a really good structure, it's really helping tremendously. If I didn't build a structure in the street at that time and, and I built one with the intention that it was going to be permanent, I built a sound structure. It's very well heated. Everything is was done properly, uh, very secure, built to the to the guidelines that were in in the guidelines that were set forth from the city. And I went above and beyond and and built it with my intention again, to thinking that it would become permanent, which I think it's going to be. Now, from what I hear, you know, if the new mayor continues with this idea. I think it's going to be uh, big for the industry and will be also attracting. We'll be able to get have more guests, and you know, maybe even attracting more people from other neighborhoods, and uh, and you know, it's it's. I think it's a, it's a good thing. I completely agree with you. And as I'm listening to you speak, Manny, I'm I'm really impressed because on every aspect of this business you're executing at such a high level, and maybe it's because I agree with you because 
your thoughts or, or, or your, your, as I say, your thoughts, your approach to the outdoor dining aspect is so on. I think that those restaurants like yourself that really see it for what it is, which is a tremendous opportunity and invested in that experience are going to really reap the benefits. And those, and it was through no fault of their own, they just had to do something quickly. Now they, they kind of have to play catch up. And I think if done properly, I think that outdoor dining can be one of the great legacies that comes out of this because New York City can be a great city for that experience. It's a great people-watching city. There are times in the year when it's just magnificent to be outside. And as you say, when you build the structure properly, I mean, I remember certain experiences last winter eating outside, and it was it was fun. It was memorable. It was a great experience. You know, if the restaurant takes time to curate that experience properly, so I completely agree with you, and I uh, I think it's a positive thing that'll come out of this. And I also think you're correct. You probably will attract people to your location and to that neighborhood based upon your approach to that aspect, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let, let me ask you this. We have a lot of young entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast and a lot of people that are in the hospitality space that aspire to open up their own business. And I would love to ask you, with all your experience and, and, and your approach and your view of things, if somebody was getting ready to open their first restaurant now, what would you say are the one or two really important things they want to get right at the beginning? What advice would you give them on just one or two things to really focus on at the beginning that maybe somebody who's new or it's their first time might overlook? One of the things that I, that I would say, because I've seen it time after time, a new restaurant opening and not being prepared and opening their doors and uh, all of a sudden they get super busy and they don't they don't have enough staff they can't get the food out on time and so you always have to make sure you're 100 percent prepared especially uh, having all your food ready having your, your staff all well trained and ready to go and not just open the open the floodgates and then just be embarrassed by you know by people complaining I, I seen it happen just a couple of months ago with, with a restaurant, a new restaurant that opened up the street for me. They opened up the doors and some of my guests that went to try and said, oh, we went over there, we waited a half an hour just to get a menu, an hour to get a cocktail, an hour. And so that's one of the biggest things. Always make sure you're 100% prepared physically with staffing, you know, kitchen, front of the house, making sure that your whatever POS system you have is working properly so you don't have any glitches, you know, making sure all your you know, you have all your permits and, you know, everything is working properly and uh, just make sure you're there. I mean, you have to pretty much, being in this business, you have to pretty much live it and love it. Otherwise, don't do it. <laughs> just uh, make sure you have all your vendors, make sure, you know, you know, you know teamed up with you. There's, there's a lot of vendors you can reach out, like yourself, that have a lot of experience that can, you know, help, help the owner open up and making sure prepared with what they need and uh, pretty much that's the biggest thing that I see that restaurants you know when they open they're just not prepared you know staffing and yeah and that's you know that that would be you know the biggest advice I would give to them I think that's incredibly important advice particularly because you want to make a great first impression you know this has been an absolute pleasure for me and I've learned so much listening to you and I, I want to just say that Manny's Bistro is located at 225 Columbus Avenue, which is between 70th and 71st Street. You can 
Check them out at www.mannysbistroupperwestside.com. And I just want to say to the listeners who are not in New York but are listening to this podcast and are going to be coming to visit over the next chunk of time, you know, the Upper West Side is a phenomenal neighborhood and there's a lot of tourist attractions there. But one of the things I always encourage listeners to do who are not from New York is you want to try the local restaurants because you really get not only a phenomenal meal and a phenomenal experience, but you really get a thorough New York experience, you know, rather than, heaven forbid, going to one of these chains or something that just gets a lot of hype. So anybody that's coming to New York, you absolutely want to go to the Upper West Side and to check out a a traditional French bistro in that community, Manny's Bistro would be the place to go. And, um, Manny, I really appreciate your time. This has been very informative and very enjoyable speaking with you. I've gotten a lot out of it. Well, it's one thing I'd like to mention if I still have time. Of course, please, anything you want. Uh, you know, giving credit to to your company, Wolco. You guys have been great since I joined up with you. I think it's been close to a year now. And you know, your service and quality, which is what I, I demand from my vendors, has been outstanding. And everything I've asked for, I've gotten. And also your sales rep, Ben, he's been amazing. I mean, I, I've never seen in all the years that I've been in business <laughs> that if somebody would on their day off say, well, we you got shorted on your delivery. I'm going to go pick it up for you and make sure that you get it so you're not stuck. So that alone, dealing with a, a company like yours is fantastic. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen that, that expertise and that care, you know, since I can't remember. Well, I <laughs> so you guys are great. And I, you know, it's a pleasure doing business with you. I really appreciate that, Manny, because like you, we value every customer and we love it and we love to make everybody happy and we don't want any negative experiences. And you got to, like you, like you said, quite rightly, if, and this goes for any business, but certainly the hospitality business. If you love what you do and you live it, you're going to want to execute. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, this has been great, Manny. So again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And for those of you that are listening again, that are new or thinking about opening a business or new to the hospitality space, the information here is something that I would really suggest that you're going to want to listen to this episode again and and jot down some notes because the lessons here are going to serve you extremely well through your whole career. And with that, Manny, I'm just going to say thank you, man. and, And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's been uh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.